It's the California Wine Country Podcast with Steve Jackson and Dan Berger. We taste, we laugh, we learn. Time for California Wine Country with Dan Berger. Yes, sir. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? I am doing all right. Our guest, David Reddy Jr. of Murphy Good Winery. Welcome, David. Yeah, it's great to be here. Dan, tell me about Murphy Good. It's a project that began in the 80s partnership of four gentlemen it had a different slightly different name at that time the wines were all pretty much at that time based upon the vineyards that were being farmed by tim murphy and dale good so the words good and ready became sort of popular because there was a guy by the name of dave reddy who was involved in the founding of the project and then of course there was the junior portion of uh, dave reddy so welcome. <laughs> there you go. that would be him <laughs> It was a nice project at the beginning, and you've taken over and become the winemaker. Yeah, I mean, you know, who thought that these guys, you know, they actually met at Jim Petrincelli's house. It was a New Year's Eve, must have been 84. My dad was uh, been in wine sales his whole life, and Tim and Dale obviously grew grapes. And they kind of started talking about that, and over that New Year's Eve, they decided to start a winery. And, I mean, I've made a lot of plans on New Year's Eve, and... <laughs> I don't know that I followed through with a whole lot of them, but uh, you know this this one really went great for them. Yeah, I think your your father actually had a different strategy in mind. He wanted to put in a golf course there. Right? <laughs> he probably did. <laughs> I remember your dad really well. <laughs> so, David, talk about your involvement and engagement in the wine. Well, you know, so um, I kind of, you know, I came up with my dad's passion for, you know, he was music, but then also wine. Um, When he, when he returned from Vietnam in the, in the late sixties, he went to college and there uh, he, he met this guy who was a lawyer and was really into wine. And at that time it would have been mostly European, but they, they started, this uh, a wine tasting group, you know, not many people had wine tasting groups in the early 70s. And through that, um, you know, my dad graduated from college and started a distributorship in Minneapolis that introduced California premium wine to the marketplace. You know, that marketplace did not exist. So he had everybody and eventually sold that company and you know, so I was always around as a little kid, often going to wine tastings. Um, you know, there'd be parties at the house, and, you know, everyone was always so excited when they'd open up a particular bottle of wine. And then being curious, you know, I'd get to, you know, smell and, and taste a little bit. So I, I kind of came up with that. And um, so when I graduated from high school uh, in Edina, Minnesota, uh, my dad was already living out here, and I, I happened to be here seeing The Grateful Dead at the Greek Theater in Berkeley. And so I called my dad from a payphone at Jerry's Deli. I think it's still there. And my dad happened to be in town because, like I said, he was the sales arm of it. So he was often traveling. And he was in town. I was in town. So we came up to visit uh, me and a couple buddies from high school. And we were having a great time. And he suggested I get a job. And uh, <laughs> a not uncommon encouragement from a parent at the time. <laughs> so, yeah, what have you been doing all summer? Seeing the Grateful Dead. Get a job. Uh, and so I ended up working the harvest of '88. Uh, and and to be perfectly honest, you know, I thought it was really cool that I was going to work at a winery. It paid seven bucks an hour, um, but it was a job. And you know, it was for me at that time. It was more about 
staying in California for a few months, maybe going to see a Jerry Garcia band show. Maybe the Allman Brothers would be in town. Um, and I would get to see concerts in California. And then I came back for 89 and really was starting to enjoy it more. So I went off to school, came back. Um, and so in 93... I was starting to kind of realize how what I was doing in the winery was making a difference, and you know, stylistically or quality-wise. And so I, I knew I wanted to be in the wine industry. At that point, I, I thought I still was going to go into sales because that's what my dad did. And he played a lot of golf, <laughs> as Dan alluded to. He only had four passions in life, and they were all golf. <laughs> Most of them were golf. <laughs> you know, he he used golf as, as a sales tool, you know. And his idea was, you know, like we were smaller wineries back then. So if he could get the managers of this restaurant with this sales guy, that you got to spend four hours with them. You know, and really build a relationship. And that's how he used it, or at least that was his excuse for playing as much golf as he did. I mean, the only way he would have played less golf would be if he was on the actual PGA Tour. (laughs) Um, So I ended up uh, getting a job in Australia, in uh, McLarenville. There's a winery called Wira Wira. And, you know, I got out there and was really excited and started to see some different things that they were doing that I hadn't seen before. And then by the end of that, you know, journey, I I knew that production was what I wanted to do. And so, you know, started taking classes at Davis and joined the different research groups that, that are around in Sonoma County and just kept working my way up. And, um, you know, eventually became the winemaker 20 years ago. You mentioned going to school before mm-hmm. Davis. Where did you go and what were you studying? University of Minnesota and just kind of, you know, fraternity life. And, um, <laughs> liberal arts, is that what people <laughs> Very say? liberal arts. And I was playing music. You know, I, I, uh, I think it was after the harvest of 89, I actually came back. Uh, to see the Grateful Dead New Year's shows in Oakland. I had gone back to Minnesota, flew back, and then we, you know, was staying at my dad's and heading to the airport, and one of the guys at the winery got hurt and was going to be out for a few months, and so I decided to stay for a few more months. Uh, and while I was here, so I think that kind of took me to April, I got a phone call at my dad's house. You know, nobody had cell phones, obviously. And a bunch of my buddies had started this band and they needed a lead singer. And I mean, I had beautiful hair, took, you know, choir in high school, had all the qualifications. And so that was my real reason for heading back. Um, and, uh, you know, so I was really trying, you know, going to school, really trying to make it in music. Um, and, Unfortunately, the music thing didn't work, but I had a great time, and, and the band was actually pretty darn successful. Well, we've you, actually played them on this show before. Oh, there you go. Mango Jam. I will <laughs> write that down and remind Steve. Um, well, you seem to have some success in the wine industry as well. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> 
Before we continue our conversation with Dave, we need to deal with Dan's Cellar Wine. Dan oh. brings a wine in for each program from his vast and catacomb-like cellar. <laughs> And yeah, he right. has don, gone to the lowest level of the cellar, apparently it's multi-level, and dug up what, Dan? What did you bring this week? A bottle that I completely forgot that I had. It's a bottle of Riesling from 2008 from Bogle. And Bogle's a producer out in the foothills, and they do a very, very good job with their red wines. And they do make a tiny bit of Riesling every year. This is this wine's a little on the over the hillside, but you know you can't really kill Riesling, and this stuff is really tasty. I was shocked. It was. It's got a little bit of residual sugar in it, so it's a little on the sweet side. But but the but the maturity of it comes partially from that uh, petroleum component, which is always found in older Rieslings, and. This one's just got enough of it to give it that personality, and I really like it. Yeah, Dave, what do cool. you think? Yeah, I think it's really cool. And, and uh, the winemaker there, uh, Eric Offit, great guy, great winemaker. Um, you know, I go skiing with him or have for many, 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 many years. And uh, yeah, I think th- I think this is really fun. It's, it's a complexity on it. Yeah, is yeah. it a little old? And sure. it's sweetness. There's yeah. definite sweetness there. And it was chilled rather quickly. It was. It should be colder. Yeah. Should be an ice cube. But <laughs> Hey, listen, yeah. I got a lot of Riesling in the cellar. And I'll tell you, the next time we do serious Riesling around here, I'll bring you a Riesling that will turn your head around. There you go. All right. There you but go. this one's good. I was surprised. Yeah. Very surprised. Yes. I, uh, Steve might have even liked this one. I think he would have. It'll be history by the time it he gets be. back tomorrow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, 14 years old, right? Yeah. Eight. That's right. So, Dan, talk more about Murphy Good. The initial project actually started as a result of all Alexander Valley fruit. Part of the reason that it was so successful was that Dale Good and Tim Murphy were incredible growers, and they really understood the mechanics of farming in a region that at that time, back in 86, whenever, was a little on the young side in terms of anybody's knowledge base. People really didn't understand Alexander Valley. They knew Cabernet was growing there very well, but other varieties, very tricky to grow, for example, Sauvignon Blanc and Chardonnay, because Alexander Valley tends to be a little on the warm side, so therefore Chardonnay and Sauvignon Blanc were somewhat challenging to grow, and it took Tim a number of years before he could get a handle on some of this stuff. I got to know Tim really well. He was a great guy, great personality, great sense of humor. I think the most important thing was that they were always, and, and, and your dad was involved in this direct, they were always looking to improve what they had done the year before. They never sat on their laurels. They never said, well, last year, last year's was good enough, let's just do it again. They constantly looked for ways of improving each of the varietals. And that was really one of the reasons that the Murphy Good brand became so successful in the marketplace because each year the wines were slightly better than the year before and we you know we had some really very established vineyards um tim's first cabernet was planted in i think 67 you know it was robert young that uh was talking to tim you know tim had his property up there but they were doing prunes as a lot of people did apples there was a lot of apple trees in in alexander valley at that time too um and Tim and the family hated prunes. And so Robert was actually the one to say, hey, why don't you plant some grapes? And, you know, Tim didn't really know a whole lot about grapes. And so, well, Cabernet Sauvignon is what I've planted, and you should, you know. And so that's really what motivated him was getting away from prunes, having property, 
and you know, I'm not sure where those first uh, vintages of, of Cabernet were sold, uh, but you know, the Chardonnay was he was um, selling to Chateau Saint Jean. Um, I think they even did a single vineyard Murphy <coughs> Chardonnay. Well, the rumor, of course, at that time was that Silver Oak Cellars was acquiring Alexander Valley Cabernet for its very first uh, vintage, which was 1972, which most people don't know. They think right. it's, it was 73, but it was actually 72. And I tasted that wine with Justin Meyer, the late Justin Meyer, fabulous guy. Yeah. And when I tasted that wine with him, I said, that is one of the most remarkable Cabernets that I've ever tasted. And he said, it's from Alexander Valley. And I never even, this was 1976 when I was Didn't know I'd never was. heard of it. <laughs> 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 Yeah, you know, and, and that's true. And, and even you know the rumors with the uh, Chateau Montalena, mm-hmm. you know that seventy three Chardonnay that won the the tasting in Paris was Alexander Valley. Yeah, and which kind of blew me away. At least that's what it says in the book. The judgment <laughs> of Paris. It's true, though. It's very true. Me. Well, the, the the secret to the Murphy Good um, tactics, if you want to call it that, is. To improve it all costs, and some of the fruit that you're now using actually does not come from Alexander Valley. You want to talk a little right. bit about that? Yeah, well, you know, we j- just poured the... Uh, Chardonnay, the, yeah. Yeah, the, the, yes. you know, our California Chardonnay, and this comes from Monterey and a, and a bit of Santa Barbara. And, you know, because we're, you know, the, the family's sold uh, Murphy Good about 15 or 16 years ago, um, and became part of Jackson Family Wines, and so now we have access to 13,000 planted acres all <laughs> on the coast yeah. of California. We don't have any of what Jess used to call the inferior interior grapes. <laughs> um, and, you know, uh, so we, we have those, and we have a lot of it, and so we're able to make just these beautiful wines. And in this, the, the Chardonnay, which you can find everywhere you know probably a bottle barn in, definitely a bottle barn and you know this is about 75 percent stainless steel 25 percent uh, barrel fermented and you know the barrel i do because personally i i feel that barrel and oak is a part of chardonnay um you know when you used to see the varietal wheels you know what 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 is the chardonnay smell like vanilla you know, toast is like that doesn't come from the varietal, but oak was such a, a big part of what we used to do, and, and still a lot of people do. Um, but you know, I, I I felt like it needed that. But this wine is subtle in terms of its oak character. It really has mostly fruit, and I think what's really appealing about it is its freshness. It really comes across very fresh. This is a 2020, and you haven't even bottled your 21 yet. Yeah, I think we're going to bottle that on Friday. Yeah, and, you know, so what I was going for with this wine was, you know, a Chardonnay that was like an after-work cocktail, you know, just, a, you know, it almost refreshing. You know, it's fresh and refreshing, and just wanted to make a really nice drinking Chardonnay, which makes it really pair with a wide range of foods, um, but for me, it was just, you know, I wanted to create a Chardonnay that people could just drink. If Steve were here, he would look at you, Dan, and say, Dan, tell me why I love this Chardonnay so much. <laughs> I think Steve would like it because it's so approachable. It doesn't call for any particular explanation. You, you open it, you smell it, it smells like Chardonnay. You taste it, it tastes like Chardonnay. It's 
really got some refreshing acidity in the aftertaste. Works great with uh, some lighter foods, but it, it really is an appre- appealing and very fresh approach to Chardonnay. It's not complicated in any way. It's very Thank nice. You. Back to California wine country with Dan Berger and our guest Dave Reddy Jr., the winemaker for Murphy Good Winery. California wine country brought to you, of course, by the fine folks at Bottle Barn. Uh, if you've heard of the Murphy Good Winery, uh, certainly in social media in the last few months, you've probably heard about something called a really good job. Dave, tell us what a really good job is. Well, a really good job is is basically it is a job search for, um, well, an employee search. for. We want to bring somebody into the wine industry that perhaps is coming from outside the wine industry. This is now actually the third time that we've, we've done this. Uh, the first time was about 14 years ago where we brought a young man named Hardy Wallace uh, from Atlanta, Georgia, that had just lost his job at Kodak and wanted to get into the wine industry. Um, And he now owns his own brand and is still in California. And last year, we hired two incredible women, uh, Lindsay and Veronica. Uh, one was a, uh, an Imagineer at Disney and, you know, was, had her master's in engineering. And then Lindsay was in sports marketing. And, you know, they've been on board now for about seven months and are incredible. And so we've decided to do this again. And simply, you know, the application is a one-minute, 90-second video application about why you deserve this job and what you want to do in the wine industry. Uh, And, you know, last year we had 7,000 applicants. Uh, And and essentially, you know, we are going to hire two people. Each of them will get $10,000 a month for an entire year and a free house to live in in the middle of the vineyards right along the, the Russian River Valley. And, um, you know, we, we just hope again we could find people that are going to stick around for many years to come. And that's what our hope is with Lindsay and Veronica. And I, I know they don't plan to go anywhere. <laughs> so what does the job actually entail? I mean, people read the, the posts and they oh, my God, they're paying $10,000 a month. They give them a place to live. What's the job? Well, you know, it, what it ends up being is, is like the world's greatest internship. So when Lindsay and Veronica were hired, they spent the first couple of months with me kind of shadowing um, – you know what we do during harvest or what i do and then actually went out and worked in the cellars you know filling barrels pumping over tanks adding yeast you know working with the cellar crew and we did that for a couple of months and then they went off to work with sales during our busy holiday season and they were working with marketing and you know then Lindsay started working with our engineering department since that is her background Lindsay's now more focused on digital marketing um and so really it's it's like the world's greatest internship in the wine industry i, I don't know many internships that pay ten thousand dollars a month <laughs> and give you an amazing house, to, house live to live in <laughs> in napa yeah and a year's supply of wine and wine don't forget about that that's the one that really piques steve's curiosity <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
so who vets these applications? How does that process well, work? Well, so it's a huge team of us. I mean, you know, last year with there being 7,000, and if the average was 90 seconds, I don't have my calculator in front of me, but, uh, you know, <laughs> 7,000 times 90 seconds is a whole lot of hours. <laughs> and so we actually have one gal on the team that did watch all of them. And she would pare it down, and then I would see, you know, I, I watched close to a 1,000, um, and then, you know, took notes, so I'd get it in batches of 150, and I would pick my top 10 from that. And so we just kept, we kept paring it down, and originally we wanted to fly out our top 10, and we nailed it at the top 17 because, mm. you know, that sounded like a real sexy number. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I don't know. I guess let's just bring all 17. And, you know, um, and then it was really tough to, to pick just two. I mean, there were hours of deliberation. And, I, you know, I think we did get the two best. But they're, well, and in fact, we did hire another one of them. They didn't get the job. Um, and, you know, we've got offers. I mean, the people that came last year, if they wanted to move to California, we would find spots for them. So is the application process open now for it this is. position? So these the application, so you just go to murphygoodwinery.com. So murphygoodwinery.com, and it gives you all the information. It's super simple to do. Uh, and just up, upload that video you have until June 30th is the cutoff. So it's a three-month window. Um, so we're already deep into it. Uh, but, yeah, until June 30th and get those videos in. All right, there you go, folks. Go again to Murphy Good, and that's good, G-O-O-D-E, winery.com, and upload your video if you would like to apply for a really good job. Dan, what do you think of this program? I almost applied. <laughs> <laughs> it, was just too, it was enticing. I mean, tell you, I mean, I, first of all, I love wine country. I love Murphy Good. I, just, I have friends in that in the company there, and uh, then of course uh, the opportunity to live in that beautiful. I've seen that house, by the way. I, I, it's a, that's a very nice house. Yes, been been completely <laughs> renovated. It's gorgeous. <laughs> And it's really, a, I mean, it's, it's, it's like the dream job of the century. There you go. <laughs> All right. Speaking of dream jobs, you're going to taste some more wine for us, right, Dan? Right now. Yeah. What do we got? Sauvignon Blanc 2020, Murphy Good um, from the North Coast. And uh, there's uh, several uh, little uh, vineyards that are contributing to this wine. I really like the aromatics of it. It's uh, uh, mildly varietal, but more than that, it has a certain sort of, I hate to say, minerality to it in the aftertaste. It's really got some beautiful acidity. You want to tell us about it? Uh? Yeah. You know, this is, uh, again, predominantly stainless steel. I did barrel ferment about 20, 25% of it, just, but in seasoned oak barrels. So these are French oak barrels that are, you know, even eight years old. So I'm not looking for oak aromas or flavors, but just to give the wine some texture because I'm really against residual sugar in Sauvignon Blanc. I think it needs to be dry. Um, it, you know, the acidity needs to be important, but, you know, to give it a little bit of weight. Dan, where do you stand on residual sugar <clears throat> in Sauvignon Blanc? It's really a complicated issue. I think it's a great tool for regions like New Zealand where the acid is screaming high, yeah. and when you've got acidities that are that high, residual sugar helps to cut that acid and make the wine actually drinkable. 
I think that if you leave residual sugar in a warm climate, Sauvignon Blanc, you're making a mistake. All right. We have a third wine that we want to try, and now we're going red, right? This is uh, Zinfandel, and this is a very, very interesting wine. In fact, more than interesting. It's fascinating. Uh, 2018, Murphy Good Zinfandel, uh, from, it's called Liar's Dice. And Liar's Dice is a his- historic uh, designation. goes all the way back to Tim Murphy at four, 5 o'clock in the morning in some cafe up in <laughs> Healdsburg. It's a long story, which we won't get into. <laughs> but it's a true story. <laughs> it's a true story. Uh, they, they used to get they, – they, they'd be up at 3 o'clock in the morning or 3.30 in the morning doing their field work, and then they'd be back, back uh, in the cafe doing playing Liar's Dice. So. Good wine, delicious wine, got some beautiful structure and, and balance, lots of spice character, and a trace of black pepper. Dave, what do you want to tell us about it? Yeah, this is this comes from Alexander Valley. This is a couple of the vineyards that we've been working with, or I've been working with since 93. I actually became the winemaker for our, our Zinfandels back in 97. Um, so I made the very first vintage of Liar's Dice Zinfandel, and... Uh, I, I do blend about 2%, sometimes 4% Petite Syrah, and just to give it a little extra backbone. But I want this to be like really kind of juicy tannins and, you know, black fruit. So black raspberry, black cherry, blackberry, and, you know, it's just, it has a nice jamminess to it. I love to smoke stuff on the grill mm. um, and, and just grill on the grill. Uh, and uh, I think this is. The perfect wine for And the that. black pepper really comes out of this in the aftertaste. It's delicious wine. It is. Absolutely agreed. Dan, final thoughts on Murphy Good Winery. Um, it's a reliable brand. It has wonderful structure. Uh, Dave is good at making sure the structure is good. The most important thing is the wines are really available everywhere and reasonably priced. I was going to say incredibly reasonably yeah. priced. Very much so. Dave, your thoughts to close out California Wine Country? Well, I always love coming in on this show. And uh, when I flew back from O Atlanta on Monday and I got a text, hey, they want you in, I came. So I, I appreciate you having me come in. and We appreciate your being here. I agree here. with Steve that Little Feet should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. What do we have next week coming up here? <laughs> next week, Walter Leva, the winemaker for Davis Estate. All right. Great. Another great episode of California Wine Country. Thank you kindly, Dan Berger, A Dave pleasure. Reddy Jr. Thanks for coming in, guys. Absolutely. Thank you.